not here to get a check mark down and say, hey, I went to church today. It's you're here because you want to be here and you're here because you want to hear God's word. You want to fellowship. You want to be with like believers. You want to grow. You want to do those things that God would have us be doing. And, and uh, that's what makes all the difference in the world to me about uh, a Sunday night service. I am thankful uh, for each of you. I've always been thankful for your encouragement uh, through all things that I've done here as I've been uh, ordained as a deacon and uh, was very encouraged through that. Been teaching adult Sunday school now for uh, several years. It's hard to believe Michelle and I was talking about that the other day, trying to remember how many years uh, that we've been uh, in that uh, capacity here at Good Shepherd and then, of course, how long we've been here at Good Shepherd. And and uh, it's just uh, it's just amazing to see how God moves in your life and how he transforms you and how he takes you from one place to another. And, and to see that he's done that in so many of your lives. Uh, and I was thinking about my Sunday school class and just thinking about how uh, God has blessed us in that class. I've got so many people that are great supporters, and, and not only great supporters, but just so willing to step up and to get out of their box and to, and to trust in God and, uh, and to uh, do for him, do for the kingdom. You know, all those things that, uh, that we do require sacrifice on our parts, but if we'll at least try, he, he will bless our lives and he will give us those things that we need um, as we move forward with him. And that is our sermon title today, Trusting God, Trusting the Lord. So we'll start today of just a little summary of last week, just in case there's somebody here that, uh, that wasn't uh, here last week. So we, we started in Daniel, in, in the introduction of Daniel in chapter 1, and it was written to encourage the exiled Jews uh, during that time by revealing God's program, His will for their lives, both during uh, the time of uh, Gentile rule and after. You know, He was telling them these things will come to be and come to pass. Prominent above all other themes in the book of God's so- or is God's sovereign control over all things. So we know that God is sovereign. He's sovereign over our lives, and he has a work for us to do. And he will pave that way in order for those things to be accomplished. God's sovereignty is his right and power to do all that he decides to do. He is supreme. He has authority, and he can do all things. So we saw that exercised in chapter 1 of Daniel as the Jews who had been warned uh, were now going to suffer the consequences because they did not heed the words of the prophets uh, that came before Daniel and repenting the sin, repeating the sin of their lives. So as a result of that, they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians and uh, Nebuchadnezzar and he remained and they remained under Gentile domination until King Cyrus released them around 538 B.C. So as we look at chapter 1 last week, we saw how God, he was in control, as he is in control of all things. Even though it seemed to be lost for Daniel and the Jewish people, through that time, God provided for them. His plan involved a 15-year-old boy. Those of you that was here last week know that we really emphasized that. You know, and, and also some of his friends who were spared by King Nebuchadnezzar, taken in and granted a lot of things, you know, that most people in captivity wouldn't have been given. Uh, as they, their nation had been overthrown. But by the study of uh, Daniel, uh, chapter 1 last week, we were able to understand the question in our own lives. And that question was, how God may continue to work in us when it seems that all things are lost? How many of you have faced some situations here lately, just in the past year, two years, maybe in the past few weeks, that it just seems like there was a dire situation and things was just out of control in your life? You know, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? How 
going to answer this. I was talking with a young man at work this past week, and he was asking me just those things. Dave, how can I give my heart to God? How can I do things for God when I am trying to do this and I'm trying to do that and I don't think I can give this up and I don't think I can do that and I said well hold on a minute there's good news he said well how in the world can there be good news I said there's good news because you don't have to do that all alone God is wanting to come into your life and he's wanting to help you through those things you can never accomplish those things on your own especially when it comes to sin and trying to work your way through something Part of growing in God and maturity in Him is understanding that we have to have His help. If we're just depending upon ourselves, we'll never be able to accomplish anything that we need to do. So how did God answer in chapter 1? He provided three things for Daniel. He came to Daniel in his time of need. No one else was there. He was all alone, but his heavenly Father was there, just as He is for us. He gave Daniel favor in his time of need. He provided food, clothing, shelter. He provided education. He made the jailer a a friend. And most importantly, courage not to defile himself before his God. God gave him all those things to be able to overcome his circumstances, his situation, right? He gave Daniel wisdom in his time of need. How many of you guys have enough wisdom? You feel that you've got all you need. I got this thing all figured out. I don't need anything extra. We always need wisdom in that time because things change, don't they? Things come at us different ways. Wisdom and understanding that God blessed Daniel with, Daniel was able to use later. God gave Daniel that gift of wisdom and understanding, and we remember talking about that from last week. So why was it important for Daniel to have this wisdom and to have this understanding? God knows that tomorrow holds what tomorrow holds, and he was equipping Daniel for those things that were to come. The God of heaven will never ask anything of you that he does not equip you to do. How many of you have ever heard the phrase that God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called? Hebrews 13 and 21 tells us to pray that God will make you complete in every good work to do his will working in you what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. So today we'll be looking at Daniel chapter 3, 8 through 18. You guys can go ahead and turn there. 8 through 18. I'll go ahead and read these real quick. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews... They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery, and the symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whosoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the rage and fury, uh, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. 
Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery, then, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, then it will be good. But if you do not worship, you shall cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands, he asked. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we uh, just glory in you tonight. God, we're just thankful people to be able to come here and, and Lord, to just uh, relax in this place and to hear your word and, and God, to try and just uh, make sense of it all. God, we thank you for opportunities to be able to come here and, and to be subject to your word. And God, we call upon your Holy Spirit tonight, Lord, to real, reveal things to us. God, help us to see uh, your ways, for we know that your ways are higher than ours, God. And Lord, just help us to have that understanding and wisdom as, as you give Daniel. God, help us to be a people tonight that is seeking your heart. Uh, and Lord, just to be more like you in our own lives. And God, I pray that you will reveal to us tonight uh, how to do that through your word and through the actions and obedience of the people uh, that you've given us in this story tonight. And God, I do thank you for Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I thank you for their faithfulness, Lord, and the example that that is to us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn from it. And uh, most importantly, Lord, to uh, try and be more like that in our own lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And amen. So before we get started in chapter 3, do we need to take a look at some things that happen in chapter 2? We know that Daniel was granted wisdom and knowledge earlier, which was needed to save his life and the lives of his friends. Nebuchadnezzar became very upset because all of his wise men were unable to interpret his dream and was, that was bringing him much emotional trouble and, and trauma at that time. I mean, it was eating him alive. He made a decree that all the wise men would be killed, and not only his wise men uh, that were of uh, Murdoch or, or the, uh, uh, the pagan gods, but also Daniel and his friends were to be killed at this time. They were in that. So he made a decree that those men would be killed, including them, and they were found to be much wiser than all uh, the, of, of the men of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's time and of his kingdom during that time. So I thought it was kind of odd that even though what Daniel had done uh, for Nebuchadnezzar up to this point, that he was he would make a decree to do uh, to do that, you know, because they stood out as they was coming through the three years of training, and and he knew that they was ten times wiser than anybody that that he had in his kingdom. But he still responded that way in his arrogance. So how did Daniel respond? Did he tuck tail and run? 
Is that what he did? No, he stepped out in faith, understanding that it was not woe is to me moment, you know, that he was in. It was a moment that he could step up and he could glorify the God that he served in a magnificent way. Most people that would be in that situation faced with the life and death uh, circumstances as was before them probably would have tucked tail and run. Probably would have told many lies and did anything humanly possible to try and get out of it and to, and to not have to face uh, that persecution of going before the king, uh, but not Daniel. It was that moment that he could step in and say that I serve Yahweh and he is the God of everything. Daniel prayed and God answered. In a vision that night, God gave Daniel what he needed in order to go before the king, didn't he? And answer those questions about his dream. So what happened with Daniel? Daniel honored God and God honored Daniel. You know, I think it's important for us in our relationships with God as we walk through It's funny to me how with each day I can be here and then the next day I'll be here. The next day I'll be here and the next day I'll be here. I'm not consistent in that walk. Daniel made some good hard decisions that I don't know that I could have made. But God showed up. And that's what he's speaking to us tonight. No matter what we are facing, no matter what we're going through, God is there and he will show up. But what if he doesn't show up and he doesn't answer the way that we would have him to do? Does that change anything? Is he not still God? He is still there. He is seated at the right hand of power. He is God. And he wants the best thing for us, his people. But not necessarily the way that we want it answered, but the way that God sees fit for it to be done. And as his children, we just have to be okay with that sometimes. Not a full understanding, but understanding that, you know, God is real and I trust in him. And I know that he has the best for me in my life, and I'm good with that, even though I don't see clearly now and I don't fully understand. So don't you love it when God shows up, though, in such a mighty way? Do you have one of those testimonies where God just showed up and did something spectacular in your life at that certain time when you you just didn't see it coming? You know, that's awesome when, when God does that. I know when Michelle and I uh, broke our foot and we was laid up at the house, I mean, first thing that went through my mind was, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? I hadn't told Michelle yet that her foot was broke, even though I knew that it was because I didn't want to freak her out or anything, you know what I mean? But, you know, we're laying there, and I've got my foot in the boot, and I'm trying to tend to her, and, you know, and and, and we're going through that situation, and and I I honestly didn't know how we was going to make it, how we're going to pay our bills, how we're going to do these things. But something that I did know was no matter what, my heavenly father will always provide for me. He provided for us from this church, from our church family, from our parents. Michelle's mom was down the very next day. And the only reason my mom wasn't down is because Martha was down. And then when Martha had to leave and go home because they had some kind of family party to get ready for, my mom was at the house the next day. And then they kept rotating and rotating and family takes care of family. And then when we had a few days alone and by ourselves because mom had to go away, she had some things she had to do, the church family stepped in. We had people bringing meals for a month and a half, for goodness sakes. That's what church family does. That's what family does. That's how God provides us through his people. Now, I think it's very important that we understand that. Somebody else is not going to get it done. 
you are going to get it done when somebody is in need. Anytime that we ever think that somebody else will get it, it'll be all right. Well, they very well may. But have we missed an opportunity to do something that God would have us do? I don't want to miss those opportunities. I don't want to be that one and, and miss that. But I tell you what, the testimony that I stand before you today and tell is, is I don't understand, but I know God spoke to me in my spirit, and he said, I'm going to show you something as you're going through this time. I'm going to reveal myself to you in a way that you've never seen or you never thought coming. I didn't tell Michelle about it for weeks. I said, okay, God, this is between us, whatever you're going to do. Do you know that I made more money while I was off than I would have if I had been at work and I was off work for three months? And when I say make money, I mean money coming in, like my paycheck's coming in. We didn't have to touch our savings account for three months. I was off work for three months. Michelle was off work for four months. And we didn't have to touch our savings account. I know this, and I can testify to this today, that God honors you when you honor him. I don't know how many of you pay your tithes and stuff in here. That is an opportunity to give to God's kingdom. And when you're faithful in those little things, he will honor you when the big times come, when both of you are laid up on the couch with a broke foot. I hope hope that never happens, but... That is the God that we serve. And I know that Daniel and his friends, they understood that. They saw that God and they they knew that that's who they served. So Daniel went before the king and gave him what he was seeking, the interpretation of a dream. Chapter 2, 46 through 48 says, The king fell on his face prostrate before Daniel and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him, to the God of Daniel. So at this point, Daniel went to him. All the other wise men in, the, in uh, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom couldn't come forward with an answer. Daniel prayed about it and went before the king, and, and God gave him that interpretation. And the king realized that, wow, this God that Daniel has is really something else. But did he yield? Then the king told Daniel, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and the revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many gifts based on what his God did for him. Also, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were promoted, but Daniel stayed with the king. So the king recognized Daniel as as truly great, and he fell on his face before him and called him the God above all gods or fell before Daniel's God and, and, and called him the God above all gods. And they lived happily ever after, right? No, that's not how it worked. In Daniel 3.1, we're about 20 years past the time that that stuff had happened and, and uh, the dream was, uh, was interpreted. So in about 20 years' time, Daniel's interpretation uh, for Nebuchadnezzar um, that we thought might have led him to his conversion we see the true pagan lifestyle of that Babylonian kingdom start to come back out. You see, at this point, the king made a statue of himself. Big statue, about 60 feet uh, tall. Huge. Well, by this time, Daniel was probably in his late 30s. 
And you see, a lot of time had passed since Daniel's interpretation. The king and his arrogance started to think about that dream. Maybe he began to question. Think about some of this. Who shall my who says my empire shall end? You hear Nebuchadnezzar saying that? Who says it has to happen that way? So 20 years had passed since Daniel had told Nebuchadnezzar about the interpretation of the dream and what was going to happen. Well, man, he's thinking 20 years has went by and this hasn't come to be yet. Who's to say that it is? He says, I am the head of gold in that dream and I'm not letting my kingdom be overthrown. Not by anybody. So he started into that me and I and that pride and that arrogance started to rise and show up. So he decided to make an image that was 60 feet tall and the people were called to gather around that statue. And guess what they were called to do? The command was given that they were to worship that statue when the horn sounded and the music played that all people must fall down and worship that image. For everybody else in that kingdom, probably not that big of a deal. But for Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that was a problem, wasn't it? So they had a decision to make, didn't they? So Daniel 3.8, as we look at the verses of 8 through 18, we see that Daniel's friends, who the Babylonians called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, have a decision to make, which leads us to our first point tonight. We must trust in God's protection. We see that in verses 8 through 12. Verse 8, we see that it says, Certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. Now, who were these certain Chaldeans? Most likely, they were the, 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 the wise men, the, um, the pagan uh, God, the people that uh, oversaw the pagan temples and those kinds of things. They're most likely the people that came forward and tried to accuse um, Daniel's friends. Those Chaldeans were most likely the priest of Belmerdach, uh, who had been left in the shadows after Daniel and his friends had advanced. So these are the guys that was passed over, that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel was made ten times wiser and, and given the gift of understanding more so than anybody in the kingdom, these are the guys that was kind of left in the dust. So in their jealousy, they looked for a way to maybe accuse and rid of the competition uh, that, was, that was in their way at that time. And they, chances are they'd been looking for a way to do this for quite a while. You know, how many of you see that in the workplace or, or in different, different places that you may be? You have some folks in there that they're willing to step on anybody and do anything just to propel themselves forward. You know, and that's really what we're seeing here. You know, people's hearts hasn't changed uh, all that much. So in their jealousy, they look for a way to accuse and rid of the competition. We see in verse 12 the accusation that they made. It says that they do not serve your gods or worship the gold image. So they were bringing to the king's mind the things that he said and that he was going to have to do something about these men. So you see, accused means ate the pieces of or devoured piecemeal. And that term suggests slander and malicious accusations which will devour the accused uh, into pieces by piece by piece. It's kind of what we're talking about here. So it seems that Daniel and his friends were strengthened by each other. And I can't help but think that these guys decided not to worship based on what Daniel had done 
so many years earlier. So here we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they are being accused, and they are to be brought before the king. And, you know, who's to say what one person's decision-making back then, being Daniel, what type of impact that that had on these three here as it come time for them to make a decision that was life-threatening? Do you think it made an impact? Guys, the decisions that we make and the choices that we make to either trust God or not to trust God on a daily basis means everything. It not only affects you, but it may affect your friends. It might not affect you as husband, as, and it may affect your wife. It might affect your children. You know, so we don't know who the big effect that's going to have on because we have so many people of influence maybe around us that we have no idea that are there and that are watching. So it's very important that we understand those as we make decisions and how we move forward in our decision-making in our lives. How important is it to surround ourselves with the right people? You know, that's what I love about my church family. I consider you people the right people. I consider you people the ones that I can come to and say, pray for me. I'm struggling. I need help. That's what I need. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had in Daniel and the decision that he made earlier. They saw how God worked and provided protection for them through that time. So they knew that, you know what, this time it's nothing, it's nothing new. I know this time it's going to be the same because my God will come through for me. But even if he doesn't, guess what, O king? He's still on the throne and he's still in control. And I still will not bow down to you and your, your gods. Our decisions matter. Surrounding ourselves with the right people, can't say enough about it. If you're not in a Sunday school class, you need to get there. Small group Bible study is a place to form relationships like you'll never have before if you just come down and sit in the back of the church and when it's over, just walk right out. It's an opportunity to come in and to relate to people and build relationships of trust and understanding and knowing that they have my back. Kent's not in my Sunday school class, but we come to small group together and prayer study on Wednesday nights, and I trust Kent, and I know by my relationship with him that I can go to him, and I say, Kent, I need you to pray for me, man. I need you to pick me up, lift me up, and I know that he will. Those are types of relationships that we need in our churches. Those are the type of relationships that I know that I have here, and I hope that you do as well. Those types of relationships only come by reaching out, sharing, doing for others, doing those things necessary to build relationships in order to be able to make an impact in somebody's lives. Here the enemies of God's servants witnessed such a clear testimony that there was no doubt to those around them that they were not going to bow before this idol. They made a decision. They made a declaration. I will not not going to worship any other gods but their own. How many of us in this situation would do the same? I think it's real easy for us to say that we would, but only when we're put in that situation will we truly know. I hope we're never put there, but what if? What if we are? How many of us have trouble trusting God? Does anybody have trouble with that? It's not easy at times to put faith in something that 
you can't see and you've never felt. That's why relationship with God is so important. That's why you have to take those times to study and to pray and to read and to take your heart's needs and wants to God in prayer so that when he answers, you can say, oh, wow, God did that for me. He is real. He is there. Now I'm encouraged, and now I'm going to pray again because he knows what I need, and he answered this one. I know he'll answer the next one. He may not answer the way that we want him to, but he will answer. These men knew that they, God had worked in their lives and provided for them before. All other things were false and not even worth their time. And that's what these pagan gods were. Do you understand that in your life? When trouble comes to you, you must understand that you can't fix it. Only God can fix it. We can never overcome on our own. We must trust in God's ability to provide. And then we trust in Him for that provision. You see, I've never had to worry about a roof over my head. I've never had to worry about food on my table. I've had circumstances where I thought that I might. But God showed himself to me in a mighty way. And now I can stand before you today and testify to the goodness of God in my life. And I hope you have those testimonies as well. Let's look here at our second point. We must choose to walk in God's protection. We see that in verses 13 through 15, choosing to walk in God's protection. When tough times come, we must make a choice to follow God. So how do we follow God during hard times? First thing we can do is we can pray, right? We can read. We can read His Word. We can dig into His Scripture and try to find an example in there that He has for us. Guarantee you there's one in there. We can stay faithful to church. We can seek prayer warriors out to help us pray when we don't really feel like praying sometimes when, when, when it comes in so hard and so heavy. Most of us here tonight know what we need to do, but in most cases we would just want to isolate ourselves and not come to church when those times come. We don't want to trust. We don't want to read. We don't want to pray. We don't want to do those things. But I'm here to tell you, we, ha- we have to. That's where the power's at. You know, if we don't listen to God and we don't dive into His Word when those times come, the only one that we're listening to when we've isolated ourselves to the house and we've blocked everybody out, we're not reaching out to anybody to pray for us, we're not coming to church, we're not reading, who's the only one there whispering in our ear probably at that time? The evil one, the one that's trying to tear you down and devour you in this world. That's most likely the one that's going to be there whispering in your ear. You know what? We have to be smarter than that. So if we're not casting him out of the fire with fiery darts and scripture of prayer, then guess what? The evil one will most likely win the fight. So we must be smarter and choose wisely. We must be faithful to God above all things. So the king was furious with the situation and the lack of respect uh, as he uh, had commanded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, be brought before him. So now we remember this was three out of four of the most wise men in his kingdom that he has summoned to come before him at this time. And the king asked them, Is this true that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image that I have set up before you? Is this true? So put yourself in this situation. 
Most people in that moment would have likely seen the king's rage and probably lost bodily function. Uh, and maybe even went into self-protection mode during that time. I don't know. But probably you're going to be shaking in your boots. Because this guy could just say, hey, guards, kill these people right now. That's a tough situation to be in, isn't it? Most at least would have trembled to hold their lives like that. And he questioned them. How many of us fail to uh, go to God when the moment of truth comes? In that moment, I know what I'd have been doing. I'd have been praying, oh, God. If there is a way, get me out of this. But I hope I would be also saying that, God, if there is no way, give me the courage to be able to stand strong and to glorify you in this terrible situation that one person in this room would see whom I serve as they take my life. Amen. So how many of us would fail in that moment? Our choices don't line up with the ways of God out of fear or even peer pressure falls. It's easy to make the wrong decision. So following God at times is tough and requires his people to trust in him. we got to make those right decisions and we need to demonstrate uh, faith as we do trust in him. Verse 15 here makes clear the king's expectations and he tells them, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the psaltery, the uh, symphony, and all kinds of music. If you fall down at that time and worship the image, then guess what? All is going to be good. So that was the king's way of saying, hey, I'm giving you an opportunity here. One more opportunity. If you do these things, then it's going to be good. So you see, the king was in a position that he had to kill these people if they was not bound to the idol. And those people that had brought Shadrach and accused them, uh, Meshach and Abednego and had accused them, they wanted, rec- they wanted something to be done. They wanted action because the king said. So they had these people in a, in a bad place, didn't they? But he told them one more time, guys, I'm telling you, come on, man. Bow down the next time this music plays. I don't want to kill you, but I will kill you. You know, I will have to do these things. How easy would it have been in that situation to have said, you know what? You know, Daniel, he's not down here right now. He's, he's up there in the king's palace. He's been living pretty lavishly. You know, he's up there closer to the king than what we are. He's been placed. You know what? Maybe, you know, maybe we can just uh, duck out of this one and maybe it'll be all right. It'd be real easy for us in those times to definitely justify a way out of there for us and take an easy way out, wouldn't it? You know, that's human flesh. That's nature. That's who we are. But not these guys. What's that, what's that speak to us? What's that say to us? Sometimes when those decisions come, we have to draw a line in the sand. And we have to say, you know, no matter what, I'm not crossing that line. I am not, by the grace of God, going to cross that line. God has been too good to me. God has blessed me way too much. He's revealed himself to me in such a spectacular way that I cannot and I will not, by the grace of God, cross that line. God, give me courage. God, give me faith. God, give me peace. God, give me favor. God, give me wisdom. God, give me understanding. God, help me with everything in me not to cross that line because I want to glorify you and I want to live for you. 
that's where I want my mind to go when those things come. Amen? But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace, the king told them. Then in his arrogance, he asked them, Who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? What arrogance after the way that he saw God move not 20 years before, right? What arrogance to say and make such a bold declaration. Now we really see at this point the heart of the king coming out. We see who he truly is. The choice here was easy for these guys. If God didn't intervene, it was life and death. This was as bad as it gets. People today, we have the same choice to make. Do I follow man in worldly ways, which leads to eternal death? Or do I choose to follow God, who leads to eternal life? Our choices matter. Our choices matter. Even in the small things, we talked about that last week. If we can't honor him in the little things, how are we going to honor him in the big things? How are we going to be able to do that? How we choose to live our lives matter, which is what led these men to this point in facing this decision. The people knew by the way they lived their lives that they were, they were different. These people stood out in the community. They knew where they could get these people as the accusations come, as the accusers came. They knew how to get them because they was living a life that was pleasing unto God to this point. Are you living that life? Which brings us to our last point. We must surrender our lives to God's protection. We see that in verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego heard the king's terms and determined in their hearts to surrender, not to the king, but to God. They answered the king and said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. They wasn't being disrespectful, right? They wasn't speaking out of arrogance in this comment. They were simply stating, you know what? Everything that you say, king, it's true. That is what we're doing and that is who we are. So what we were accused of is true and we stand by our decision is what they meant by that statement. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been accused? It's not fun, is it? Especially when it's not true. How did you respond? You know, was it true or were you falsely accused? I came to work one day and I was accused. I walked into work and the assistant manager was in there. And I was like, that's weird, right off the bat. And there was my group leader standing up there, my my immediate boss. I was like, well, that's weird. So I walk in and I hear, hey, Dave Atwell, can you come up here for a minute? I was like, well, sure. So I walk up and I'm like, what's going on? They said, well... This lady looked at me, she was the assistant manager, she said, uh, well, Mr. Atwell, there was some religious material left out on the table in this group house last night. I said, there was? And she said, yes. And she said, somebody off the other shift was offended by that when they came in here and this stuff was sitting here on the table. I said, well, what does that mean to me? And she said, well, out of all the people, you was the one that we figured left the religious material on the table. And you know what I said? I said, praise the Lord that the first person that you would think of was me. 
I said, hallelujah to the Lamb of God. I was so glad that I was the first person that they thought of. And I said, well, you know what? I said, I'm so sorry. I said, I would love to be able to to claim that one as mine. I said, but I can't. I said, you've got the wrong person. I said, that wasn't me. I said, but I'm so glad. And you made my day to think about the fact that you thought it was. I said, that shows me that I'm doing something right. I said, praise his holy name. Isn't it funny? Those accusations come sometimes. You know, how are we going to respond? You know, what are we going to do? It may encourage me to know that there was another brother out there on another shift that was fighting the fight. So I was, I was, I was happy about that. So you see... They chose to trust God and they surrendered their lives into God's hands. That's what these people did. They had no desire to offer any defense uh, or, or feel the need to even ask for forgiveness because they knew that what they were choosing to do was right before God. And guess what? Their conscience was clear. And the way that they saw it was, was, well, shoot, far. If today's the day that I'm going to stand in judgment before the, 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 the creator of all things, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to see him. And, you know, I said, man, what an impact that is on my life. If the Lord was to call me out right now, am I ready to see him? Am I ready to stand before him? That always ought to be our thought and our motivation in our lives as we self-examine. Am I ready today? If I get up to walk out of this church and I kill over with a heart attack, am I ready to stand before him? Hey, guess what? Heaven is real. God is real. Hell is real. The decisions and the choices that we make today and who we surrender to, who we decide to serve, makes a difference. And if I'm not ready and the Lord takes my life, then I'm going to one place or another because that's, that's just the Scripture's truth. But their conscience was clear. So the response to the king we see in verses 17 and 18 he says, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from that fiery furnace. And if he will deliver us, he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you that we do not serve your gods, nor do we worship the gold image which you have set up. That's a pretty bold statement standing before the king that just threatened to throw him into a fiery furnace, wasn't it? It was clear in their response. They gave the king his due respect, but they did not fear that king. But they did fear God, and the choices that they made showed that. They was ready to stand before God with a clear conscience. So who is it that you fear? Who do you aim to please in your life's decisions? Jesus said in Matthew 10 and 28, Do not fear those who can kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in that place called hell. We see the wisdom that God had blessed them with in chapter 1. We see that wisdom demonstrated here in their actions. The men surrendered uh, to God and confidently trusted God. Uh, in God's sovereignty and the power of knowing that God could, could deliver him or them if he chose to. And they were confident in that. They were also aware that God may not choose to save them. But either way, whatever the outcome may be, God's ability to save them or not was not what was at stake It was their faith and obedience to serve God 
regardless of the outcome. Let that sink in. God doesn't owe us anything. We owe God everything. And that's why we must fully surrender to him. So let me ask you this. Do you trust God enough to choose to surrender no matter the cost? No matter the cost. All right, let's close in prayer.